You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Hey, this is your nightcap for April 3rd, 2023. I just started watching The Last of Us two days ago. I watched that. That's and good. I finished the third episode. Which I was gobsmacked by. I thought it was awesome, and I went Nick, and looked Nick at Offerman. Yes, it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah, holy yeah. cow! The whole thing is really, really well done. It is. There's obvious parallels with like something like The Walking Dead, which I'd watched, I guess, four seasons of or something like that. And for a couple of reasons, I think it's significantly better in terms mm. of using this sort of post-apocalyptic environment as a canvas for exploring a number of things the writing's good the plot's great the characters are interesting yeah good writing i'm not a fan of zombie movies in general or shows i find it incredibly boring because most of the characters are dead (laughs) well i I see what you mean but that's one of the things i think that it ends up getting that kind of horror or that right with the conceit of this fungus that makes the creatures animated in a way that, you know, is very zombie-like. But of course, they can get killed in the normal ways that they do. Yeah, naturalistic zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Zombies naturalized. But yeah, you know, Game of Thrones was a very riveting series and it had the zombies, but they were just sort of tacked on, I thought. They never really... Yes. I think zombies lower the dramatic tension because they're more like a natural disaster than agents, right? You know, yeah, when there's yeah. when there's actual agents, there's moral agency at stake and there's like injustice and screw those guys, we're gonna get them back. With zombies, you can't feel vengeful towards zombies. Well, but I think the last of us, it's very focused on the human drama yes. and the zombies are there and they're not tacked on because they're sort of an integral part of this whole post apocalyptic environment and it creates interesting obstacles, but there are also, you know, a lot of other human obstacles people fighting for resources. So I think it all ends up working very well, but it also has to be well-written to work well, which it is. I think you nailed it, that they maintain the clickers as part of the environment. People are thinking about things like, well, how does it much does it matter that they used to be people and stuff like that? But the the antagonists end up being just other parts of society and other people and the reactions that individual people have with the circumstance. I was very impressed. It's the best TV I've seen in a while. It maintains it pretty well for almost every episode. There's one I didn't think was good, but. Well, yeah. So I think the lesson here is succinct is better. You know, it already expands on certain things that are in the video game because you can't just have, like, you get really familiar with the types of zombies in the video game. And this one, it's like some, like, they show once ever. And, you know. Uh, did you play this? Oh, yeah. Back yeah, when we it had, we had, out, there's, we had an episode on it. I finished it and part two. Oh, oh wow. I was thinking about trying it out and Simon, my son, told me that he thought it was a, probably about a 40-hour playthrough. Did it take you 40 hours? Uh, I don't know. It's actually it's pretty fast as video games go. Okay. You did it recently or? You might be better at those kind of video games than yeah, I am. Probably so. not. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I play like a, a real wimp for everything. I will just like okay. do everything as slow as possible and, and run away. Yeah. Run away. <laughs> Pretty much. And just like redo the same thing. I mean, I guess that's kind of the way it's built. There's not a lot of cost when you get killed, like, you know, in terms of time that you have to wait to go back to the previous thing. And you don't have to like, oh, I have to run five minutes of landscape before I can fight that boss again or whatever. It's not one of those things. It's it's very consumer friendly, you know. 
<laughs> meant to be. And I think you can even, there are settings that you can make it easier if you just oh, like, sure want to get the plot. I haven't wanted to play a video game like that in a long time. So, As you might have heard, like that episode that you were talking about, that character is in it in the present day, but there's no flashback. You know? No, which makes it all the more interesting. In fact, I was reading some reviews and somebody who had a negative review of it, or just like a summary of them, the reviews, commented, well, there's no way you could understand this unless you had seen the video game. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like completely transparent. I thought very well done, like how that whole backstory thing fed into the storyline. And and then it was just greatly executed. We could do a zombies episodes at some point or a post-apocalypse episode. We could do any of these. Well, I know you cover it and pretty much pop, Mark, but there are these philosophy and books and they're oh endless. Right? We were just talking about those on pretty much pop and Lord's. Hates those all, and I kind of share a contempt for the most part. I mean, what they do is, I mean, I was asked to write a paper for one of them. I didn't do it, but some of them are, I mean, there's some good papers that appear in them sometimes. It might be interesting if we, well, maybe this is a problem, but expanded it to all kinds of post-apocalyptic stuff. Because it's not all just zombies, right? There's, I mean, The Road. I would rather talk about, like, Zizek's book about how everything's post-apocalyptic or whatever. I'm sure there are modern philosophers that there are lots of books i mean yeah someone wrote i tried to read this it didn't turn out to be very good i forget the name of the book but there's a philosopher who wrote a book about the appeal of the post-apocalypse something like that i had high hopes for it but yeah i didn't but i'm sure there's good stuff out there if we found a, a good long philosophy paper about it or a couple sections of a collection i think it would be great if there aren't philosophers writing about it i don't know why because it's such an obsession, it's such an obsession, especially given the pandemic, you know, but it was even beforehand. Well, it's also kind of a reflection. I guess I'd have to think about how far, like, you know, what the literary history of post-apocalyptic stuff is exactly. If it goes back beyond modernity, you know, and the idea that technology is going to destroy them. It's probably just to World War II. I would think that and before we had the A-bomb, this was not a... I guess we had the plague and stuff. Like no, well, there's H.G. Wells, War of the World. and Yeah, all the stuff that comes in sort of that 1800s, late 1800s era, advent of electricity and industrialization. Milton's Paradise Lost is sometimes called like the first science fiction work. I mean, is it... Well, so that would be a... I, to hell, there's kind of a post-apocalyptic quality, but yeah. If we ahead. want to do Paradise Lost, if we can figure out a good way to... We could just do it straight up. That's a big pun. Speaking of topics, we got a few emails. One person suggested we do animal rights, like Singer's Animal Liberation. Martha Nussbaum had a book recently about it, Justice for Animals, Our Collective Responsibility. I actually heard her on another podcast talking about that. Moral Reasons in Animals by S.F. Sapontzis. I've not heard of that one. And Taking Animals Seriously, Mental Life and Moral Status by David de Grazia is what Alex has sent us these and some other names on his very in his very long email here we had talked about after we did our abortion one like we should do some more practical issues like this i actually feel like this might be a more salient one to me than euthanasia i reached out to a friend of mine who had written some stuff about animals dogs in particular about animal consciousness not animal ethics he got back to me suggesting some reading by franz de wall are we smart enough to know how smart animals are? I haven't gotten a chance to look at it yet, but I liked your response, Mark, that 
maybe we should do something like an animal consciousness episode or two and then an animal ethics one. Because I think we'll just naturally be end up asking questions that are basically animal consciousness questions. Right, I suppose. One of the first criteria you're going to have is how much like human beings are animals in terms of the moral universe and sentience is going to just loom large there. The judgment of consciousness is going to loom large there. Well, and just reading, I remember, I can't remember what the pop, there's some popular book that I recall, like my mom owned and I read and it was just all, look at all these smart things that animals do that you didn't know that they did. You know, those are heartwarming and neat stories, but just not philosophy at all. And so I'm not sure what to read that is not that. (laughs) I'll take a look at this book that got recommended by my friend who has done a lot of thinking about certain aspects of animal consciousness. He thought it was a pretty good place to start. That was also had a relatively synoptic character to it. You know, what's nice about the way that we did the abortion one is you can kind of sum up. I could see somebody doing a whole investigation of abortion, focusing on is the fetus a person and really go into like, okay, well, when does the heartbeat start? And what makes someone really human physiologically and how much, and we just kind of like, Yes, okay, there are these criteria that have been brought up, but like they're so generally beside the point, you know, so we are able to sort of deal in a more abstract way. So, okay, yeah, some animals have, let's say they can use tools. All right, well, what do we make of that? Not like, but can they use tools? I'm only interested a little bit in the actual scientific facts. <laughs> and that's what I worry about a, a topic like this. If it's all about, it's, if it's just a science topic, which is, I'm not saying we could never do such a thing. And we probably have that I'm not thinking of. In the past, certainly the Darwin and stuff was in that area. But that sounds like what you want to make sure is that whatever discussion of facts are includes some reflection on what that means, right? Philosophically. It informs the philosophical discussion. We occasionally come back to this idea of do the scientific facts really matter in almost any philosophical discussion? Or could you be wrong about them and still the landscape of conceptual stuff still kind of looks the same. I, mean, I just think it's completely obvious that it becomes much more interesting. If, even if your facts are somehow speculative, right? You're talking about alternate worlds or something like that. It matters if you're talking about the frame in which you're talking about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to try to think about anything that I wouldn't consider that amounts to things that have factual aspects to it that you're not trying to sort out where it makes it worth it. And especially in the science stuff, seems like it's always mattered when we're talking about consciousness, about something about what we know about consciousness. Well, like our personal identity episodes, our philosophy of mind episodes, I feel like we did not stress, you know, is neural networks the best way to capture, is that actually the way minds work as a neural network? Or does it work more like a linear computer with discrete functions or, you know, whatever the view was before neural networks came along? And that's interesting, but I think there's a reason why none of the very famous papers that we looked over dwelt on that. We just want to stipulate what the science is. The ethics of animals, as Dylan points out, depends on the consciousness question, the capacity for suffering and capacity for reasoning. And there's a lot of good scientific evidence that addresses that. But yeah, we don't want to argue about that, but we need to be able to say what it is at relevant points and stipulate it. And I mean, the historical discussions about the place of animals in the ethical realm that I've seen involves a lot of argument about the fact that they're not sentient or they don't feel things or they, you know, animals don't and making them more like rocks than people. 
And so, you know, basically viewing the world as, well, there are rocks and there are people and people are part of the moral universe and rocks are clearly not. And so I'm going to explain how animals are more like rocks and people. That's more or less the structure of it. And I think there's lots and lots and lots of evidence and particularly recent work that's been done that really examines that kind of thing. And so being familiar, even just in a generic way about how far we've gone in terms of this kind of thing, it doesn't have to be an exhaustive thing. That's why a good uh, reflective couple chapters of a book by someone who really knows their stuff would be informative. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.